And that's what partnering is about, right? That's why it's so great that we partner with someone like advances that we know we know each other, even though we don't necessarily know each other deeply, we know what we stand for and what we can trust. So it's good to be together. Guys, I want to talk to you today about the Father's lavish love. It's a very personal journey that I've been on at 18. I was really insecure. Um, I struggled massively with my identity, struggling with self-worth, and I felt that over the last probably 22 years, from when I was about 18 years old, I remember a moment lying on a bed um, in a place called Peter Marisburg in South Africa where I was just curled up in a ball, just weeping and weeping as I was trying to grapple with the love of the Father. I have a, a pretty good dad, I have a, a wonderful mum, and my parents have done the best that they knew how through their own brokenness, and they never ever woke up one morning and thought, you know, I really want to mess with Paul, I really want to, I want to hurt him, or they woke up and they did the best they knew how, but they carried the wounds that they had, just as I do, and I have a lot more grace with my, with my now having five children and understanding how hard it is. This thing looks so easy, right, like marriage, it looks so easy from outside. It's like when, I, when I've got kids, they'll be like this. They'll be like, hey, you have your own children, and then you suddenly realize it's a lot more difficult. But over the last 22 years, I've felt God begin to build into me a deep understanding of the love of a father. And part of what I want to journey with you today as I'm, as I'm preaching is hopefully it comes across that this is not a moment thing. God does do things in, in moments, and they can be significant. They can be springboards. You can have an experience, or a, someone preaches something, or you read something in God's Word, and it can be a significant moment. But really, this thing is more like the volume button on an old, you know, like old hi-fi system, and you have the, the, the knob, the, the volume knob, and you, you, sometimes it just feels like the, the noise, the white noise just goes like right up through the roof, and then other times God in His grace just comes and turns it back down again. And as I've journeyed with God over 22 years in this particular area, um, it feels like the God has, has allowed longer periods of my life where the volume has been turned down. Does that make sense? And then just occasionally there'll be something that will happen with my earthly dad or with um, and someone else, an older man, or, or just another scenario where I'll suddenly feel those feelings of insecurities or rejection or whatever it is rushing back in and I'll have to run to the Father and go, please turn the volume back down again. So hopefully that resonates um, a little bit with you, but what, all I'm trying to say is that I'm a fellow journeyer with you. It's not, I'm not standing as someone who's got this, I'm standing as someone who feels very much on the journey of trying to understand the love of the Father. And so what I want to do this morning is just, I'm going to preach in two parts. The first part is just the love of God. I want to just hold a high view of the, of the sense of, of God's love. And I want to try and show you from just a very few scriptures. We're not going to go text by text this morning. I'm just going to try and paint a big picture for you of the love of God. And then the second thing I'm going to do is just look at three enemies that try and take that love away from us. Just three very, I'm a very practical preacher. So I want to preach practically on the three things that come to try and rob us of those enemies. Alright, are you with me? Right. And South African people are much more responsive. So I just, I just think I'm, if you're quiet, I think I'm doing terribly. So you just, every now and again. There we go, thanks. Just every now and again. There was a, a theologian, he was a German Swiss theologian. Have you heard of Karl Barth? Very famous. He died in about 1960 somewhere, I think 1968, 1965. Um, he, he ministered for many, many decades. And right toward the end of his, his ministry, um, he'd written tons of books which really shaped a lot of how, how we understand theology and how we see God. And he was asked by a student in a, in a forum in America, someone stood up in a Q&A time and said, of everything you've written, of everything you've read, everything you've preached, everything you've understood, what is it that it kind of all comes down to? What, what's the essence of everything you've learned? And Karl Barth said this profound thing. He said, I learned it on my mother's knee when she sang to me, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. So we have this great learned man who in his late 60s, 70s, wherever he was, says everything I know could be summed up in that one little song. You'd sing that song here, right? Yeah. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And this is the great revelation that he had after all this learning, all these, all these years. And I want, to, I want to start off, if you're comfortable, just closing your eyes. I want to read a few, not yet, I'll tell you when. Uh, I want to read a few statements over you that in, in my journey have made me uncomfortable and continue to make me uncomfortable. And maybe they do for you, maybe they don't. But I want to read these statements over you, asking you, how much do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm going to read? And they, they, they're in my own words, but they're deeply rooted in 
many, many scriptures, not just one or two here, a deep number of scriptures, right? Are you ready? Now you can close your eyes. Do you believe? We're going to start putting it there. Do you believe that you are deeply loved by the Father, by God the Father? Do you believe what Zephaniah says, where it says that he sings over you, that the Father sings over you with delight? I find it hard to believe that. Do you believe that God is not tolerating you? That he's not just putting up with you, but that he's actually pleased to have you with him. He's pleased by your presence. He loves being with you. Do, you. do you struggle to believe that God has chosen you to be a part of his family and he's really glad he did? He's glad. Are you confident, this is if you already know Christ, this one, are you confident in his love? It doesn't waver up and down depending on the sin that you got involved in this week, the number of quiet times you had, whatever it is that your gauges of your spiritual health, depending on how you did that thing or didn't do that thing, you feel loved and you feel not loved, you feel loved, you feel not loved, like a a yo-yo kind of effect. Is there confidence in you in the love of the Father that is stable and, and strong? Would you use any of these adjectives to describe God's love for you? Words like lavish love, poured out love, over the top love, enduring love, personal love, unwavering love, unceasing love. There's there's nothing you could do that could make the love of God cease. We've been singing about that this morning. Holy Spirit, as I preach, Father, as I preach, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, your Son, I ask that you would come and speak your words, not just into our heads this morning, but into our hearts. We want to know you, as Ephesians says, that we would know the love of God. As Paul prays for those people, we pray that for ourselves this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. So now, any of those... Any of those statements make you uncomfortable. They, they do mean I've, I've battled to, to grasp that God could love me in such an unconditional way. But sometimes it's actually felt offensive to me when I've heard someone say this. Like, God loves you, and, you know, not in your sin, in your brokenness, in all your rubbish. And I'm like, I just don't understand. I don't get that. I don't know how you can love me. Um, like that, but at the same time as I'm feeling this kind of like I want to serve God from an emotional distance, you know, like as for me and my house, we're going to serve God from a, a little bit further away, but at a distance, we'll keep Him over there. At the same time as I have that emotion going on in my heart, I have another emotion which is I desperately want to be loved like this. I desperately desire that God would love me in this in this way, and that I could just continue to believe it. I feel like there's there's moments, like kind of mountain moments, where I believe it, but a lot of my life feels like it's been lived down in the valley part, where I believe it for a moment, and then, you know, for like six months, I really struggle, and then I believe it for three months. Does that resonate at all? Just me, obviously. You too. There we go. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, That somehow God, in His mysterious purpose, has saved us. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with God having saved me, but I often wonder if He tolerates me while I irritate Him. That he doesn't really want me around. That he's kind of thinking to himself, you know, he sighs deeply, he bites his tongue, he doesn't, you know, smash me. And he, he thinks one day after, after they die, and Paul, after he's been glorified, you know, then I would have done all the work and made him completely perfect, and then he's going to be fine. But for now, let's just tolerate him. Guys, Scripture tells us something so completely, completely different yes. about the love of God. It tells us that we have been adopted is one of the primary words that is used. And not begrudgingly, not reluctantly, not God saying, oh, well, I guess I better. Not reluctantly at all. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite um, authors, says, it's a profound definition of the gospel. He says, the gospel says that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared believe. It's a profound definition. I'll read it again for you. 
You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believed, but believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. John, the apostle of Jesus, he calls, he calls himself the beloved, right? It's like Moses saying, writing about himself that he was the most humble man in the world. But John calls himself the beloved disciple. And he writes this in, in 1 John 3. He says, see, see what great love the Father has lavished. That's where the text I've got that word from. The Father has lavished on us. And John's like, you can, you can hear the marveling in his voice. He's like, can you see it? Can you see it? Look at this great love that the Father has poured on us. Great love poured, lavished on us. And then he says that we should be called children of God. That's the great love. And then he says, and that is what we are. That is what we are. Children of God. Paul, the text we read this morning, I think it was Nicole, who read it for us, Ephesians 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, right? So just think about that statement. Before you did anything right or wrong, before the sin that you struggle with, and the, the mountain that you keep on going round and round, before whatever good thing it is you think you've done, the charity you've done, or the tithing you've done, or the coming to church you've done, or whatever it is, before the creation of the world, God chose me to be holy and blameless in his sight. In, say that little word with me, in love. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship, daughtership, through Jesus Christ, in accordance with His pleasure and will. He wanted to do it. If I leave a will, right? I leave a will for my kids one day. It's like, this is what I want to happen. It's my will. I want this. This is my desire. God adopts us because it's His pleasure. It's His will. He says, this is what I want to do. I don't feel begrudging. I want to do this. To the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves, talking about Jesus and how we have this redemption in Christ. And the, the question you've got to ask when you come to a text like this one in Ephesians is, what is happening in this text? God is choosing us. This is the language. He's adopting us. He's saying that He loves us. He's giving us sonship or daughtership. That's what's happening. Why? Well, because of His love, because of His good pleasure, because of His will, He wants to, and He's doing it in Jesus. That's the, that's the how. Now, I want to show you a picture of my extended um, family, but before I do that... <laughs> that's two. Three strikes and you're out. <laughs> um, I want you to think about adoption. That's the primary metaphor that, that's in this text in Ephesians. Who, who initiates... Adoption. The little child? Okay, just keep that thought in mind. Your turn is now. Go for it. Thank you. Was it Glenn? Yes. Thanks, Glenn. That's my big family. So I looked up Glenn Gareth, which is where we come from in Ireland. There's 140 people, according to Wikipedia, on the, on the whole town, right? If we'd stayed there, it would have been significantly larger by now. That's just my, so that's my mum and dad. Over there, obviously. Oldest sister, second oldest sister, third oldest sister, all with their ugly husbands. <laughs> then me, over there, with my beautiful wife. Then my younger sister there, and my younger brother. Six of us, biological children, right? Between us, we have 24 grandkids. There's one, my little baby girl, you can see this picture was taken a little while ago. That's my seven year old over there. My little baby girl wasn't yet born, so this is about five years ago when my mom. At my mom's 60th, actually. But then you can see that there's some people in the photo who don't quite look like they belong. Right? That's Simon over here. Simon was born. He's 27 years old. He was born in a hospital under a false ID. His mom walked out and abandoned him in the hospital. My mom and dad adopted him when he was about three months old. And he came into our home and we took some, uh, I don't know what the Irish word for flack is, like we took some heat. We took some heat from the family. Now we're going to have black hoaxes in South Africa. That's a big deal still, right? And so, but, and I wondered, I mean, I remember being 13, 14 years old and wondering, how am I going to love this boy? How's it gonna, what's it going to feel like? And I remember just within weeks, 
just this love beginning to grow in my heart until it just feels like there's no difference from Simon and my brother David. It's just like, it's the same thing. So Simon was there, Cara, who's over here, is now a chef in, um, a chef in Cape Town. Cara was left on a bed. Um, someone burgled a home. She had a broken arm. She had a bashed in her head. And she was just left on a bed. And I remember one day walking in to my mum's, um, I think she was in the lounge or something, and I just remember seeing my mum weeping. And then looking in her Bible and seeing a little picture of a tiny little baby, which was Cara. And I just knew, there comes another one. <laughs> there comes another um, And I could go through Luke. Luke over here is, um, was abandoned in the bushes to die. And someone in a very rural part, someone happened to walk past, happened to hear him crying, picked him up, took him to hospital, and he ended up as an 18-month-old with us. Abigail and Sam, probably, so Abby is, Abigail's beautiful girl. These two are in our, in our congregation with us, which is just such a joy. Um, Sam's 19. Abigail is probably the hardest story. She was, she was dumped in a bin, literally in a rubbish bin, was left in a taxi rank, and left there, and someone found her, Samantha, like Simon, I compete was also abandoned in hospital, right? Now, why am, I, why am I telling you all of this, okay? I mean, apart from, it's just cool to show my whole family, and I really like that, but I'm telling you this because I want us to think about adoption and who initiates it. Who decided that these children, these precious ones, would join our family? I, want to, who, I don't know if you ever have, have adoption in this congregation or not, but when we have to do adoption in South Africa, the amount of paperwork is staggering that you have to get through in order to do. Who does that paperwork? But we have to pay a lot of money to adopt. I don't know if that's the same, but we've got to pay a lot of money. Um, who seeks who? All these, we could go on and on with these questions. And, but the, the, the thought is, what is the child doing all this time? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this is the picture that God is painting for us in Ephesians when it says God adopted you. You weren't thinking about it. You weren't doing right or wrong or crying like a good baby or, or not crying like you, you had no idea. I had no idea. And God reaches in and says, You're mine. I adopt you. I initiate it. I do the work. I love you, right? Why else do you do this? You don't do it. We don't even get benefits in South Africa. <laughs> you don't do this for any of that. You do it because of love, because God is stirring love in your heart. I want to look at one more scripture. I'll just read it over you, but I just felt when I was preparing for you guys this morning that this is a, is a personal scripture for some of you, and I think some of you sitting here this morning really need to hear this. It's Psalm 139. It's very famous, very well known. It says, For you created my inmost beings, is David writing. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. This is, this is a bad day verse, okay? When you're looking in the mirror, you need to look and go, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. A lot of times we don't feel that, right? I just had, uh, oh, I won't go, that's a diversion, I'll tell that story another day. Praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden for you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed, unformed body. I mean, how affirming is this? This is David writing like how God views us in our mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book. Like God knew I would be here for my first time in Belfast preaching with you today. It was ordained in God's book for me. Before one of them came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. It's not stingy. He doesn't think about you, you know, once a year, like you do about that family member that you see in the Christmas card, right? God, how vast is the sum of your thoughts for me? Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I am awake, I am still with you. The presence never leaves me. Right? You're starting to get this. I was on a retreat um, recently, and there was a, an older lady. I've never met her before. And when I, let me rewind a little bit. Um, when, I, when I had my first daughter, Esther, who I showed you earlier, I remember a day being in my room and just holding her in my arms. 
And I remember just starting to dance, right? And I'm not a big dancer. I hate going to a wedding and dancing. But on my own, and I can break up the ballet. So I was, I was going for it. I was dancing with this little child. And just, I wasn't thinking about God. I wasn't in a spiritual sp- I was just dancing and having fun with this tiny little baby. And I just felt like God spoke into me in that moment. Just like broke in. And you know what I mean when I say God spoke to me? It wasn't like an audible voice. Just something inside of me. Just said to me, your dad did this with you. And I was floored. I just began weeping and weeping. I've never seen it. My dad loves me. I know that. He provided for me. But he's never communicated that. He's never said, boy, I love you. And I always say, dad, I love you. Every time I finish the phone call, dad, I love you. Okay, boy. <laughs> dad, I love you. I remember once he said, I love you. I was really like, <laughs> But that moment, God told me that my dad did that. It was me. I was flabbergasted, and I, that was years and years, 14, 15 years ago. I'm at this retreat, um, I don't know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, and I see an older lady, never met her before, and God reminds me of that story and says to me, you need to tell her the story and tell her that I love her. And I'm like, well, God, that's quite a, you know, scary. So I just go and I say, hey, I just have this, this is what happened to me, and God told me to tell you. The story and this woman just begins weeping and she says to me my mum wanted to abort me and my dad had to fight for me my dad fought and fought to keep me and convinced my mom I don't know how she knows the story but that's what she's telling me my dad had to keep me and my dad used to dance with me like this just the, the personal nature even just that moment for me was so encouraging because just God took a stranger from South Africa this lady was from Norway I think it was or Sweden and just somehow connected us so that God could tell her that she, she's loved by God the Father. Not just by her earthly Father, but by God the Father. Are you with me? Yeah. I know that I'm longing for this kind of love. I, I think if we're all honest, we're all longing for this kind of love. For some of us, it's easy to admit. Some seasons of life, it's easier to admit than others. Some seasons of life, we just feel rubbish. We just don't feel like we're doing well. And it's really hard to to believe that God would love us when our church plant is not going great. I know how hard it is to plant and you have those days where you're just like, oh my goodness, no one believes in this except for me and my wife. It's really tough. And I'm, I'm asking you to have courage through the pain of the experiences that you've had around love. So many of us, we don't want to admit that we want this love because we've been rejected, we've been hurt, we feel pain, we carry scars. So I want to go to part two. I'm just, that was just trying to paint... A big picture of God's love. A biblical view of God loving us. And I want to ask you why it's so difficult. Why is it so difficult to continue to believe the love of, the love of God? Why is it so elusive if God loves me like this and He keeps on saying in His Word that He loves me like this? Why do I find it so hard? Well, there's three powerful enemies. You'll know them already. The world, myself. Um, we'll get to the third one just now. So that we're going to get to him in a minute. But the world, the, what does the world teach you around the Father? Increasingly, certainly in South Africa, and I'm imagining your, your context is similar, it increasingly it teaches us that there's no such thing as a, a pure, abundant, and unfailing love from a father figure. That's what it's teaching us. It communicates that fathers are, are often unreliable, often absent. If they are present, they're apathetic, they're uninterested, they want to watch the football, they want to be on their phone, they don't really want to be near us, they want to, you know, these kind of... Things and, and the fallout from, from this, just culturally, the fallout is, is huge. We have a generation of children growing up who never feel secure in the father's love, often because those fathers have not felt love in, the, in their father, and they haven't felt love in their father, right? This is not a new problem. This is going from generation to generation. And we see it working out all across our society, especially in our very own pain, in our own hearts. One of the startling things for me has been in parenting and seeing my own brokenness and imagining the kind of father I'm going to be versus the kind of father I am and just going like, oh God, help me. Like I need so much help. I can see my hurts passing on to my son and on to my girl and I'm like, it's the last thing I want to do but I don't feel like I can, I can help it. Right? And so this enemy of the world operates through this broken, warped view of the Father. And we begin to look at God the Father and go, all my experience of 
fatherly figures, of others. Mums can be from so many different avenues. But when I look at God the Father, I come with suspicion. I come with my God well up. And I'm going to keep him over there because all of our experience is warped and, and twisted. What does God say about himself? When we come to this first great enemy, God says, I'm a father, but I'm not the kind of father that you have. I'm the kind of father you were created to have. If nothing had happened in the world, if there was no sin in the world, God, God is that father. Deep in our soul, we know that a father's love is meant to be life-giving. His is. He never, he never brings death. He always brings life. A father's love is meant to be safe and pure. His is. Not always easy. Sometimes he disciplines us, but his love is safe and his love is pure. A father's love should cause him to protect, to provide, to be present. His does. That's what omnipresence is. God is always with you. I, I struggle with this because unconditional love is, is the thing in my family that is the weak, the weak link in our armor. We do love each other. We have big fights and we make up very quickly. All of those kind of things, right? But unconditional love is really hard in my family. You, you do to be loved. So being married, for me, I've been married 17 years, has been one of the most wonderful redeeming experiences of my life because here's this, this woman, Kate is her name, um, who, who sees me more than any of you ever would, who sees like the flaws that are going on. I mean, no one knows you like your husband or your wife knows you, right? And all the, all the junk that we have in ourselves. And yet she still loves me. It's remarkable. I find that remarkable. I mean, if you knew me, you'd also find it remarkable. If you, knew, if you knew how bad I really was, you'd also be like, wow, that's amazing. She still loves me. And that's just like a tiny little sinful version of what God is doing, like in a perfect way. I was on the same retreat. I was walking. I was actually in Scotland. I was in Huntley. And I was between Aberdeen and Inverness. And I was walking on this beautiful, beautiful river. And one morning I just felt the Holy Spirit begin to minister to me about the unconditional love of the Father. And I often think in pictures. And I had a picture of it. It's at the top it just said, um, the conditions of my love for Paul. Well, on the top of this, like, it was like, like a formal document. And then the entire document was blank. And at the bottom it just said, signed your Father. And I just, it moved me so much. Just think about this. The conditions of my love for you. Completely blank. And this is the, the enemy that the world comes and says, no, 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 no. The way you, you understand your earthly father, that's what God's like. That's the first trick. That's how he stops us from understanding the love of God. Then the second one is a little bit closer to home. The second one is my own flesh. I don't need anyone. I don't need a father out there who's hurt me or some other person in my life or any experience that I've had. It could be a divorce. It could be anything. I don't need anyone else. I just look inside myself and I go, God, if I know my own sin against you, if I know my own sin, my own heart, my propensity to sin, the way that I go like a dog back to its vomit over and over again, I go back to my sin. It's terrible. I know it's a horrible image, but it does help me keep it in my, in my mind, right? And, and I go, if you knew what Paul had done, you, you can't love me. You can't love me. This is the story of the prodigal son in Luke. The story of Luke. What happens? The, the, the guy, the son takes his father's inheritance. He's a true son, but he doesn't actually love his father. He just wants his dad's money. He takes the money. He thinks he has some good friends, but actually they're just there for the money. He burns the money. He finishes it all up, and his friends all disappear, and he ends up sitting in the pigs. Many of you would know this. Many of you would know the story. The thing that he says is really profound if you go and read in Luke. He says, to himself, he says, I will go back to my father and I will say to my father, I am not worthy to be called your son. This is the enemy of self. I'm not worthy. It can't be me. I can't be loved. Maybe that guy over there, but me? No, I can't be loved. And so he goes back to his father and he, he says this well-rehearsed thing. He says to his father, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father runs at him, which if you go and read it, the Jewish fathers didn't do it. It was a sign of, in, of, of being undignified. His father picks up his dad like he's a robe, picks up his robe, runs to his son and says, No, you're going to get the ring, the family ring. It doesn't mean much to us, but to them it was meaningful. Here's the ring, here's the robe, bring a robe, bring the cow, bring the best one. We're going to kill that one. We're going to, we're going to party because my son was lost and he's come home. The son's like, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And he's starting to go through all his, his whole speech. 
And we sometimes, this is the enemy against us. This is enemy number two. It's, it's, yes, Lord? <laughs> enemy number two, right? It's me. It's my own self. We look at ourselves, we look at our own sin, and we think, after all I've done, there's no way He could love me. But guys, that's the very point of that Luke parable, is that it's not based on the character of the Son. It's based on the character of the Father. The love is because the Father goes, I love you anyway. Not based on the Son being able to do anything, which takes us back to Ephesians, right? Before the world began, I chose you. I adopted you. And the last one, we're nearly there. The third one is this, the devil. So those are the three things. The, the world that you live in tells you, hey, every experience I've ever had has only shown me brokenness. Right? Even in, I feel, I feel like God's refathered me through other men in my life, but even in them there's brokenness. I try and do it with the young men in our church. In me there's tons of brokenness. Right? The world, and then yourself, and then the devil. Those are our three enemies that stop us from understanding or, or experiencing or walking in the love of God for us. And there's three, there's three primary arrows in the quiver of the enemy. And I'll just touch on each of them. They're really, I'll, and I'll show you where they come from. That Galatians text is actually where we are pulled in from. But the, the first way, or the first arrow in, in, the, in the way the devil accuses us is he says, you're a slave. He says, you're not a son. You're not loved by God. You're a slave. And what does a slave have to do? What's the primary job of a slave? Well, it's just to work. You work and you work and you work and you work. And if this country is anything like our country, we have a lot of people who try and work their way to God, try and prove again and again that by going to church enough times or by having, you know, doing this or doing that or doing good works or whatever it might be, that they somehow are going to show God that they are worthwhile to be a son. The Bible teaches us the opposite. It says that we are... Like our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. There's nothing we can, we can do. But the lie of the slave says you have to work and work hard. You have to secure and sustain the Lord's love. You've got to keep His love by your hard work. Mess up and you're out. That's the line of the slave. If you mess up, you're out. You're done. Your worth is tied to your ability to produce and to behave. The slave is always working, never resting. So if you feel in your Christian walk, if you're a Christ follower, and you feel that you have to work and work and work, you probably need to think about this one. This is where the devil is getting you. The lie of the slave. Then there's the lie of the orphan, which we've been talking about. Adoption. Orphan. No mom, no dad. The lie of the orphan is that you've been abandoned. And the devil will come and tell you this again and again. God doesn't care. He's abandoned you. Look at what's happening in your suffering. You have cancer. You have this. Your mom died. Your dad died. Whatever it may be. Your child is sick. He doesn't care. He's not there. You've been abandoned. You're all alone. No one cares about you. No one's there to protect you. No one's coming in. No one loves you. In South Africa, we have an expression, stalk on the end. It's Afrikaans meaning like all, all, all alone. Very, very all alone is kind of the, is the interpretation. And that's the lie of the orphan. No one's coming for you. You're left alone. And if you feel it in your walk with Christ, you're often getting to points where you go, that's how I feel. I feel like just completely abandoned. COVID did that for a lot of us. Right? A lot of people were really isolated in our congregation. We couldn't meet for nearly 18 months because we were in a school and the school refused to open up again because of education departments. So we couldn't meet. We had to kind of go virtual. I was you know, going in front of a camera all by myself, feeling very spirit-led. Um, it was not great. And people felt incredibly isolated, incredibly lonely, and some people were taken out by the devil with this exact lie. No one cares about you. If they would have, they would have phoned you at least twice this week. Poor pastor. Right? I have the orphan. The third one is the, the third weapon that the devil uses against us is the lie of the illegitimate child. He's, he's a real child. David, he's great. I like him. He's, he's a real child. Look at how he prays. Look at how often he goes to church or whatever it is, whatever your measure is. He doesn't seem to struggle with the sin that I struggle with. He just struggles with little, little sins. I struggle with the big ones. And so you feel, you end up feeling like a 
the picture I have is, is of a, a family having a joyful dinner at Christmas time. And you're looking through a window, kind of going like, I really want to be in that family, but I'm just not. They're the family, I'm not the family. I know kind of that I'm a son or a daughter of God. I kind of get it, but I never feel like I'm really in. And that's the lie of the, of the illegitimate child, that the life and the joy of the family is reserved for someone else. For someone else. Galatians 4, I've done this backwards because I wanted to do that first and then get to the text. But I want to show you where this comes from just so you can in your own time go and look at it some more as you examine those lies that the devil brings against you. Galatians 4 says it like this. It says, but when the right time came, I'm in verse 4, Galatians 4, 4. When the right time came, God sent his son, Jesus, obviously, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him, now this is about to tell us why, Jesus came. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the Lord. Right there, slaves. The lie of slavery. And then carry on. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. There's orphans. I'm not an orphan, I'm adopted. I'm not a slave. I've been, Jesus came to set me free. And then it carries on. And because we are his children... God has sent the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Guys, when, when Paul wrote this, it's the most amazing word that he uses there. Do, I don't know if, if people here ever pray and use the word Daddy in their prayer. That makes me really uncomfortable, I'm just saying. <laughs> but I actually think I'm wrong. I think they're closer to the truth. I'll be praying with someone in South Africa, and they're just praying like, Oh, Daddy, won't you? <laughs> Take a step back. But actually, when I read this, I think they're closer to the truth. I'm not going to use it, just personally. I can't imagine David using it. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's close. It's Abba Father. For the Jewish readers, that's what it was like. It's Daddy. Right? That's me. So it prompts our hearts, and I'm not going to say it aloud, but in my heart, that does respond. And my heart does leap up and go, Abba, Father. Right? It says, now you are no longer a slave. There's slavery again. But you'll go with God's own child. There's adoption again. And then this little part. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. And that little one speaks to me about the illegitimate child. When you're an illegitimate child, you're tucked away in a corner. We, we, often the wife doesn't even know about you. You know, so The family, um, what's the... Um, <laughs> my wife always sings this song. What's it when you're married to two people? What's that called? Bigger me, that's right, yeah. She always sings this song, Bigger me at Christmas, what will I do? Spend it with the family, I can't, I've got two. Have you heard that little limerick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm being inappropriate again. <laughs> but this, this little verse, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You're not an illegitimate child. God has not just said, I'm adopting you. He said, I'm leaving stuff for you. I'm, I'm, there's reward, there's blessing. You're my, you're my heir. And I want to just pause and clarify one last thing as I close. And that is that this love that I've been speaking about, this adoption, this um, legitimacy, this, this orphan, slavery, all these things we're speaking about, is, is not how you can just by default say, great, I have those things. That's me. If you don't follow Jesus this morning, and by that I mean that he's... He's a saviour, and by saviour, I mean not just that he's rescued you, but also that something in your heart is going, I want to follow you. I want to obey. I want to learn to obey you. If, if those things are not in play in your life, then you are a slave. Then you are an orphan. Then you are an illegitimate child. Now that can sound um, really harsh, but it's important that I say it, because when the devil accuses you of those things before you know Christ... He's dead right, right? And the way that I'll help explain it, I use this in my congregation sometimes, but if, imagine, that, imagine that David had cancer, so I'm just going to use you because I know you well-ish. Imagine David had cancer, and I had a cure for cancer, right? And I came to David, and I pretended that I had cured him, that I'd, I'd given him the cure for cancer. What would that be? Loving? It would be the most unkind, evil thing I could ever do. 
would be to pretend that somehow. And so that's the same when I come to the gospel. I'm really clear around the gospel, not because I'm trying to be mean to anybody, but because the gospel is, is something far, the, the, the sin is something far worse than cancer in our lives, with far greater consequences. And I'm not going to come and say, well, I'm just going to pretend that you're now adopted and you're chosen. No, 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 no. We must go to God's word and say, this is how we follow Jesus Christ. And this is when we are adopted. So that's the bad news, is that it's not just automatic. But the good news is that it's available for all. The Bible says, John 3.16, you'll notice, it's, it's very famous. For God so loved the, not the church. He does love the church. But that's not who he came for. For God so loves the religious people. For God so loves the ones who go to church. For this, for that. No, for God so loved the world. Everyone. In their sin, in their brokenness, before the foundations of the earth were laid. He was going, I love you, I want to adopt you. So it's available for absolutely everyone. Why don't you throw that picture up again for me, Claire, if you would. And I, I just, I love seeing my family and thinking about where they would be today. My, especially my adopted kids. In South Africa, there's a huge divide, as you know, through apartheid. It's, it's done so much damage in our country, in our lives, in our minds, even. And so we grew up, in a, just, just because we're white, somewhat privileged in our country. But many people of color never have that, especially if you're of color and you're abandoned. You're at like the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, right? And I love thinking about this and thinking about the gospel, that all of us really are one of these kids, that all of us were in the rubbish bin of sin. All of us were, were full of sin. And the gospel comes and tells me that God pulled me out, that God cleans me, that no matter what rubbish, friends, some of you have been involved in some really hectic stuff. God comes and says that no matter what rubbish you've been involved in, that he's able to pull us out and he wants to adopt us. He wants to. It's his desire. All of us in some way were, le were left weak and defenseless and unable to care for ourselves. At some point in your life, you will realize, if you haven't already, that, you, that the thing that you thought would make it all okay doesn't. This is what I love about reading celebrities. I remember, I think it was Jim Carrey who once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous so that they could see that it doesn't fulfill the longing of your heart. That's Jim Carrey, social commentator, right? <laughs> Philosopher. <coughs> the Gospel tells us that, contrary to us feeling weak and defenseless, that God rushes in to rescue us. One last verse, John 1, verse 12 to 13. He says, yet, this is John the Beloved again, it says, yet to all who did receive him, accept Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Four responses this morning. Alright, number one, you've never known this father. I don't know you at all. So I don't know if anyone is here this morning who does not know Jesus, who does not know God. If that is you, my, my request of you is that God is stirring, if the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart this morning, come to the Father. Run to the Father. That's my first group of people or person. The second one is the prodigal son or daughter. Someone who has known God in some way before but who's walked away and you feel like you've almost deliberately spent your inheritance and it feels like you're in a pig moment. You're sitting in the, in the pig star kind of moment and your the, 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 the dominant narrative over your life is I am not worthy to be called your son. I want to encourage you to come back to God. Come back. He's waiting. This is the story. It's not based on your character. It's based on his character. That's the gospel. And then the third category of people is that there's two little categories in this one. I think some people feel disqualified from God's love. They feel disqualified because of what they've done. That's the, the one we're speaking about just now. God, how can you possibly love me? But then I think in that one, there's also people who feel disqualified because of what's been done to them. They're carrying shame, they're carrying guilt, they're carrying hurt from things that have happened in their lives. Mm -hmm. so we see this especially with abuse. 
It feels like the person who's been abused feels like they are wrong. God can't love them because of what's happened to them. That's the third category of people. And then the fourth one is, is a much wider one. Um, and that's those who've experienced a, a poor, very poor view of the earthly father. And you feel like you're just, you can't get a, a true view of God the Father because every time, even the word father kind of has a negative response in you. And scripture teaches us not that we must understand this, but that we must know it, that we must experience the love of God. That's what Ephesians, if you go and read Ephesians 3, the last verse, the last, the last section, he's praying that they would know the love of God, that they would be able to comprehend, understand how wide and deep, etc. Alright? We've been, we've been singing about this this morning. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. That's what we're singing about. And then, I mean, there's, there's obvious, I would, I would love to do a whole series on this with you guys, because the obvious next one is, if God loves me like that, how do I then love God in response? This is the obvious one. And then, how do I love others? And we're singing in that same song, lead me in your love to those around me. And this love isn't just, a, just a, a for Paul. No, it's for Paul, and then it spreads out. And then, and then it splashes over. into communion. So can I, I don't know, um, David, how, can I pray for those anyone, in that category? So, um, let's, let's go one by one through those categories. Right? Just, just out of respect for one another, can I ask us to close our eyes? Um, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to, I just need to say that up front because I've been in too many meetings where someone says, you know, put your hand up and then later on they say, well, I'll come to the front. <laughs> but if, if you've never known the love of the Father, you, you don't know Jesus, and this is all quite new to you. Even some of the songs we're singing have words. You have no idea what we're trying to build or what we're trying to do or what these lyrics mean. Sometimes we sing about the Lion of Judah or this other thing. And it just all feels new and, and strange, to be honest, for you. But something in your heart says, I do want to follow this Christ. I want to, this guy that's talking, I want to follow that kind of father. And the father that I've been hearing about in this foundation church while I've been coming. And if that's you, I want you to simply do find a friend after this meeting or somewhere in the next few days don't lose your courage do it as soon as you can and just say to them I want to give my heart to Jesus would you help me and doing it in community like that is so powerful because then that person can walk the journey with you so if there's anyone like that in your own heart now right now won't you make a commitment that you're going to go and speak to somebody friend, you don't need to wait for that moment right now in your own words. You don't need someone to tell you fancy Christian words. Just in your own heart, just say, God, I need you. I'm longing for this. I would ask the same of those who feel like they're prodigal sons or daughters sitting with the pigs this morning. Just, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I feel like I've walked away from you people in this church knew what I've been up to, or what I've been doing, or how far away I've walked from you. I've got good at, at going through the motions. I've got good at pretending. But really, you know, God, that I've walked away from you. Friend, this morning is a moment just like those who've never met Jesus for you to come back to the Father. Tell someone about it. Ask them to walk with you. Ask them to help you. I want to pray for. I'm going to just pray a prayer over you. If you if you'd like to lift your hands, go for it just in a posture of receiving. Just put your hands out in front of you. But if you're not comfortable with that, that's fine as well. Father, some of us this morning, I know in my own life I felt so often disqualified from your love. As I wrestled with my own sin, as I wrestled with my own struggles feel like I've gone around a mountain a hundred times. I've said sorry to you a hundred times for the same sins that keep on happening in my life, God. And I just want to ask you for freedom over people feeling like that this morning. I want to ask you for a deep revelation that we can never outrun your love. 
that we can never outsin your love, that we can never do anything that excludes you from loving us as your children when we have come to you is once for all, it's forever. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come upon us this morning and those who feel disqualified by their sin, Father, would they be able to feel the grace rising up in them to throw it at you and say, God, it's yours. Please show me your love. Please show me that you love me. Father, I want to pray for those this morning who've had terrible experiences, more than I could ever imagine had things done to them which make them feel unloved, make them feel unworthy, make them feel unlovely, unlovable. So I say that, I just feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to say that there's someone here this morning who's had incredibly cruel words spoken over you as a child very specific cutting phrases that were said over you. Holy Spirit is saying and He wants to come right now and bring healing. Let God speak new phrases over you. Let God speak new words over you this morning. Why don't you come and sing over them, Father? Come and speak those words. And if that's you, any of those, the third one I'll be speaking about, won't you just in your mind or even out loud if you like, just say, Father, I accept your love. I accept that you love me. And then the last one is the experience of the Father's love. Only experienced very poor love from a father, and you just longing to know that God loves you. Holy Spirit, would you come? And just by your grace, show us your love.